Well, thank you, uh, Bill and Robin, <coughs> excuse me, for uh, bringing those readings to us. I um, apologize. I had, um, it's my mistake, I'd intended for those first five verses to be um, included in the Acts reading. I wouldn't have um, realized that unless Bill hadn't pointed it out. So it's my pleasure to read to you Acts uh, chapter 2, 1 to 5. Uh, so when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, this is the disciples, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. There we go. That was those, those first few verses. Well, this morning we're uh, continuing our story of the Bible, that big meta-narrative that unites the whole Bible together. Um, and that isn't really just the story of the Bible, it is the story of the world, the history of the world, God's history, God's interaction with them. And we're at the next chapter, so we, we had creation, we had the fall where, where humanity sinned, and we had uh, the call of Israel, the redemption of Christ, which we've just finished, and now we look at the church uh, as they continue the story. And we're particularly going to look at the church in the Bible and Acts and the letters and, and Revelation there, uh, and in about four or, or five weeks, actually hopefully, all things being equal, the first Sunday we're back here after we redecorate and repaint, we'll be talking about our part in the story. So I think it's a nice way to, to come back into the church once, we, once we're out for a month or so. Um, but yes, we're looking at the church now, the next chapter in the story. Uh, and the church has a big task, doesn't it? It's it's a big undertaking. God has called the world back to him. He sent his son to fulfill exactly what that looks like, and then he's given the church the mandate to continue that story. God had to come down as Jesus into this world to fulfill that. And now he said to the church, now it's your turn. Go and do it. Go and make disciples. Go and proclaim this good news. That is a massive undertaking. How's the church going to accomplish this? What will happen? What will it look like? Will it succeed? Will it fall flat? Who knows? So before we get to that, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, called us uh, to you and entrusted us, your people, your body here on earth, with the task of continuing your mission in the world, to proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he has died for our sins, that he has risen to give us new life, defeating sin and death. And so, Lord, this morning we ask, as we look to you and to your word, uh, to you as the only hope, will you also be our strength and our peace for the mission that you've given us. We pray you would speak to us clearly this morning. And so, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Right, so Jesus has ascended into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's charged the church with the Great Commission, go into all the nations and make disciples of the world, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you, can proclaim this to all the nations, beginning here in Jerusalem and Judea. And so the church now needs to do this. But in order to do it, they need the right fuel for the mission, having the right power source is incredibly important, isn't it? And this is true for everything. I think we know this from our own experience. Uh, If you've got a toaster and you don't put electricity through it, it's just a kitchen ornament, isn't it? If you've got a kettle 
and you don't put electricity through it. It's just a glorified water jug. And so the church... Actually, we'll get to the church in a second. A couple of months ago, uh, I was at a catch-up with uh, some guys from church, um, and Mike, who's been leading worship this morning, um, was there, and he'd walked there, and when the meeting finished, it was dark. And being the generous guy that I am, knowing Mike is scared of the dark, I offered him a ride home. And as we're driving along, we're coming up from, you know, Roberta Ave shops, coming up the road there, and I'm driving along, talk, 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 and I'm putting my foot down on the accelerator, and the car's slowing down. And I'm thinking, oh dear, what's going on here? I put my foot further and further down on the, on the, the pedal. Nothing happens. Eventually the car uh, shudders, coughs, and comes to a standstill because I'd run out of petrol. <laughs> there was a kids' church meeting going on in here, and I could have asked them for help, but I was too embarrassed. Uh, so Mike graciously um, lent me some petrol from uh, his uh, lawnmower can. Um, and I managed to get to the petrol station from there. Kind of a failed attempt to be nice to drive someone home, but, but nonetheless. But if we think about this, if a toaster is just an ornament without electricity, if a kettle is just a glorified jug of water, what is a car without any petrol? Mike and I were very comfortable in our seats. We could listen to music. We could keep out of the rain. But without any petrol, the car was completely failing to do the one key thing that it needed in order to actually be a car. It couldn't transport us around. It couldn't fulfill, truly fulfill the mission of what it had been designed and created to do, transport us where we needed to go. Without Pentecost, without the Holy Spirit descending on God's people and filling them and empowering them, to be equipped to do the mission that God had given them to do in the world, without the Holy Spirit living in each, in, inside each and every one of us, we would just be a glorified crowd of people. Maybe not even a glorified crowd of people, we'd just be a crowd of the people. What makes this gathering this morning of 120 people or so far more glorious than 45,000 people filling Eden Park? It's the spirit of the living God living inside of each and every one of us that connects our lives with one another, that connects our lives with eternity past and eternity future. It's our connection with an empowerment by the eternal living God of the universe that makes us glorious and proclaiming the glories of what Christ has done. And so this morning, let's explore what happened at Pentecost. And then I think we'll see how the church is fully and perfectly connected to God in the Spirit, able to fulfill this mission. We'll see how when it's not perfectly connected to God, that it fails to live out its mission. And the need for us also to trust in the sovereignty of God and the leading of His Holy Spirit. So as we look at Pentecost, there are some important things for us to know. First, uh, the Pente Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost, wasn't originally a Christian festival. It was originally a Jewish festival, okay? And it was used to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest and present them before God in anticipation of the rest of the harvest that would be gathered in, okay? And so as this developed, though, uh, and it came to around about the second century BC, and all the, the people of God were dispersed around um, the Greek empire, around the known world, um, the, the festival moved its focus away from this celebration of first fruits to be 
focused on the renewal of God's covenant with Abraham to become an elect people gathering from the ends of the world the inheritance of people that God was calling. And so these are the two things that are in the people's minds as uh, the Spirit of God comes, as this Pentecost we read in Acts chapter 2 is celebrated. And this imagery is key for our understanding of what God was doing. The first fruits of the church, the first of the harvest, are taken in and sanctified to God in anticipation of the rest of the harvest. This is the first harvest of the church, not just the disciples, but also the 3,000 converts who were added to the church that day. And also, because this was a significant festival in the life of Judaism, people from not just Jerusalem and Judea were there. As we heard, people from all over the Roman Empire were there, Jews, to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And so there are people from many nations around the Roman Empire of many different languages coming to celebrate, and they're gathered together and brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fulfillment of Pentecost happened at that Pentecost. It cuts them to the heart, and they are converted. Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so what we see, as one scholar puts it, is that the Spirit's first work is to empower a community to share in the salvation of the kingdom and to be a channel of that salvation as they are brought together in fulfillment of the ancient festival of Pentecost. And of course, the symbols here as well at Pentecost are very key. The strong and rushing wind are symbols of God and His power. They take us back through the Bible and our biblical story that we've looked at. Isaiah 59.19 and Job 38.1, God speaks out of the rushing wind. Nahum 1.3, the tongues of fire, symbols of God as well. The fiery pillar that led the people of God through the wilderness. Uh, in Daniel 7.9, it says God's throne is a throne enshrouded by fire. The Spirit of God being poured out upon His people also wasn't unexpected. It is in continuity with that ongoing story as well. The coming of God's Spirit upon the Messiah was prophesied in Isaiah 42.1. It was prophesied to be poured out upon all God's people in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 14. And then as Bill referenced in his reading from Acts chapter 2, the Spirit being extended to the nations and poured out upon them was prophesied in Joel at chapter 2, verse 28 and 32. But our continuity goes back even further than this. It goes back beyond prophecy to one of the high points of sin in the history of this world, of evil in the world. In humanity's arrogance and sinfulness and pride, they launch an assault on God by building a tower in a place called Babel. And the people are judged by God. How? By confounding their speech. So they could not understand one another and they're dispersed across the world. But here at Jerusalem, at this Pentecost, with God's Spirit being poured out into the hearts of His people, in Genesis it says the thoughts and inclinations of man's heart at that time was evil and evil only. Now the Spirit of God is poured out upon their hearts. People from across the world are brought together from every nation and every different language in the empire, and they supernaturally understand one another without knowing each other's language. This is the undoing of Babel. 
It is undoing sin in the world. It is the next phase in God's advancement of his kingdom throughout the world to bring it back to himself. And so the story of our spiritual ancestors takes another turn here. As biblical scholars agree, what takes place here isn't so much the beginning of the church, but the continuation of Jesus' mission to gather and reestablish a renewed Israel for himself, a renewed people of God for himself. The point of the undoing of Babel and the unity of which God's Spirit is the unity which God's Spirit brings and of which the church is to share. And this is so important for us now, isn't it? Our world is one that though connected in far greater ways than any other point in history, is perhaps one that is more deeply divided than at any other time in history. We're divided culturally. There's disunity to the value of each other, of each other's genders. Terms like intersectionality, identity politics, have found a cultural norm in the last five or ten years. Left versus right, neo-Marxism versus capitalism, critical race theory, along with definitions of hate speech, religious speech, uh, freedom of speech. Many people are driven by a desire for greed, power, and envy of those who have or um, those who want for, or fear of the past, embedding our identity in the past and not the present. We live in a complex world that is so, so deeply divided. But through all of this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. The church, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, is the community of redeemed slaves. Each of us, once slaves to sin and death, we are redeemed slaves, set free from sin and death, and unified at the foot of the cross by our commonality of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That is our paramount identity. That is the identity in each of our lives which comes first and foremost. We are not divided by the ways of this world. And this is what we see in the image of the church when it is running at its ideal, when it is almost perfectly connected to, uh, to God by the power of the Spirit. Another story about running out of petrol. A friend of mine was uh, working in Finland, and he was telling me uh, about uh, a missionary who was living there and was giving a testimony. Uh, and they had, for whatever reason, this missionary had uh, gone off to, to minister in, in some place. And you know, being Finland, and it's the middle of winter, I think they've got months where they don't even see the sun. Uh, and so they'd gone to this place to do their ministry, middle of the night, whatever that means. Um, and they were coming back, and they hadn't realized that they, their car didn't have enough petrol for the journey, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And so as they're looking down at their petrol gauge and it's gone into the red, uh, they're, they're starting to panic. You know, it's freezing cold. If their car runs out of petrol and um, battery runs down, they won't be able to keep warm, and their life could be in danger. And so they did all they could do. They prayed. And they prayed hard, and they prayed with faith that somehow God would see them through. And to their absolute amazement, they saw before their very eyes the needle on their petrol gauge move from below the red to over halfway. And they weren't going downhill or uphill or whatever it, you know, might make that happen. Uh, supernaturally, 
their, their petrol gauge went above halfway. And then when they'd made it to the near, nearest petrol station, some 20 or 30 kilometers away, they filled up their car and it went over the number of liters in their petrol tank could carry. Right? God had supernaturally sustained them. When God is your power source, in fact, your only power source, things go very, very well for you. And this is the image that we get in the early chapters of Acts, right? There's this great sense that indeed the ministry of Jesus is continuing. And that through the apostles and through this community of followers, it's going, expanding at an even more rapid pace. They continue to meet and preach in the temple, evangelizing as people are added to the church. Those whom they believed, to, uh, yeah, sorry, added to the church. Miraculous signs and healings are performed by the apostles to the point where people bring out their sick so that the, the, the shadows of the apostles might pass over them and they would be healed. When they're captured and put in prison, they escape miraculously. They rejoice at the honor of having received a beating for the name of Jesus. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see the church constantly meeting with one another, uh, devoting themselves wholeheartedly to the apostles' teaching, sharing their lives together in hospitality, committing to constant prayer. They hold all their possessions in common. They sell land and give it to the church for use to supply the needs of the needy, the poor, the widows, the orphans. And the Lord adds to their number. But not just that, they also enjoy good standing with the whole of the community. Think about this for a moment. This is the daily life of the church. The church is an incredibly close-knit community within an already close-knit community. Their extreme lifestyle... Sorry, their lifestyle is extreme. But also look at the results for the kingdom. The results are extreme. God added to their number daily... When there was a need in the community, it was the church who met that need. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but this is what happens when a community gives themselves fully over to the work of the Lord. When we truly center our lives around Jesus and truly follow the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And this doesn't just mean that God speaks to us audibly. Often at the start, it doesn't happen like that. It comes with a prompting of your thoughts and your conscience to do what Christ has simply commanded. Imagine if we, here at GPC, gave our lives for the next six months just to extreme following of Jesus' teaching. Take just the Sermon on the Mount as an example. If we gave ourselves over to love our neighbors without condition, to forgive without condition and pray for our enemies, to be humble in our own eyes, to not judge others, to give to the needy and the poor, to follow through on the commitments that we have, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to not judge other people, to not be anxious about our needs, to pray regularly, to fast regularly, to build our life upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his teaching, if we devoted ourselves wholeheartedly to that teaching found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I guarantee that the results would be extreme. If we gave ourselves to extreme prayer, extreme inviting to church, 
extreme giving, extreme serving. I've just said extreme pigs. The results would be extreme if we wholeheartedly gave our lives to this. How are we giving our lives daily to be God's people in this place? How much are we being drawn in again and again by the power of the Spirit to hear the Word of God afresh in our lives, to share what Jesus is doing in our lives, to love those around us and to support those within our community who only we know? How are we soaking through the streets of Glendowie and the communities beyond? How are we saturating the social circles and the strata of this community that we find ourselves in for the gospel and with the power of the Holy Spirit? What would GPC look like if we truly devoted our lives to live in this way? We also see some other points in the early chapters of Acts. That without the right fuel, the church doesn't work as it's intended to do. Third story about running out of petrol. My friend who told me this story about this missionary was uh, also telling, t- told another friend. And uh, this friend heard the story and was incredibly inspired by it. And so they started to live their life with their car rather dangerously seeing how low they could run the petrol down before they needed to get, uh, you know, to, get, to get more petrol in there, seeing how low the fuel gauge would go. Well, not surprisingly, it didn't take too long for them to run their car completely out of petrol, and they found themselves stranded. But being inspired by this missionary's story about having enough faith to fill up a tank, they decided that they would blend the missionary's story with Jesus' story in John chapter 2 about turning water into wine. And so they promptly filled up their petrol tank with water and turned the car on. Suffice to say, the car did not turn on. What happened? They put water all through the engine and completely ruined their car. You never put water in the petrol tank of a car and turn it on. That's the takeaway from that story, if you're just wondering. I'm not promoting uh, water into petrol. In these early chapters of Acts, when the church is not correctly connected to God, when they don't have the right fuel in them, the wheels start to get a bit wobbly. Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much money they're giving to the church. They want to be seen to be generous in the eyes of the community, while also keeping a little bit for themselves. They're motivated by greed. Some of the widows from the people um, who aren't native to Jerusalem are neglected. Division starts to creep into the church. New members are drawn to the church to gain power through the Holy Spirit. Others are are drawn in thinking that they can buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. When we're not connected and not truly fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the wheels can get a bit wobbly. Thankfully, as as Acts continues, through faithful and mature members of the church, like the apostles, like Philip, the sanctity of the community is preserved, and it does keep moving forward. But it doesn't negate the fact that we as a church exist in a broken world, 
a sinful world where we have competing allegiances and desires of our own hearts. And if they're not kept in check, we can be drawn into sin, in which if that is left unchecked, it can severely derail and undermine the mission of the church. Sometimes we can be empowered and act out of ungodly emotions and motivations. Hatred or anger, ideology, bigotry, fear, envy and greed. Pride in caring about what other people think of us or our, our reputation rather than having the transparency that points to Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Maybe it could be even acting out of a childhood trauma. Are we acting by the power of the Holy Spirit or the passion of sin which lays dormant in our hearts? It is only when the church is filled by the Holy Spirit of God that it is filled to overflowing with supernatural love from God. It is only then that this love will validate us as believers. It will build us up and cause us to feel safe and secure, that we might confess our sins, that we might feel safe enough in the presence of God and of our church family, to leave behind our sinful ways of life, to be accountable to one another and truly glorify God. Have you received that outpouring of love by the Holy Spirit in your heart? Finally, when we do start a journey in a car and we keep the car topped up with petrol, we'll get to our destination. We might need to take toilet breaks. Someone may need to be car sick on the way. We need to drive carefully and follow the speed limit. We may get slowed down by roadworks or have to take a detour, but we'll get there in the end. If we remain faithful, following the Spirit's leading and prompting, we will see the journey through. God will see the journey through. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 12. Started by James, brother of John, one of the intimate three disciples of Jesus, executed by Herod. Sees Peter imprisoned. But if you go through Acts chapter 12, we see Peter is miraculously released. Herod is judged and killed by God. And this chapter is there to show us that despite the evil which is in the world and fighting against the work of the Spirit and the work of the church, God is sovereign over not just His church, but this world and the whole of history as well. God is the ultimate King. God is Lord of this universe and King over all. He is the one whose story we are a part of. And the good news is the last chapter has already been written. We find that in the Bible already. We just need to be faithful to travel the journey that Christ is calling us on. The good news is if we're not doing it quick enough, 
God gives us a poke and a prod too. Persecution sent the church to the ends of the earth in the early chapters of Acts. But in the meantime, we are to continually look to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. We are continually to invite the Holy Spirit in and to seek to be faithful to his promptings in our lives. Have you invited the Spirit to lead you today? Have you invited the Spirit to lead you in your Christian walk at all? Let us pray. Jesus, you've done so much for us in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. You have paved the way for us to live in eternity with you. You have told us of that eternity and given us a vision of what that would look like. But you haven't left us helpless for the journey there. You have promised your Holy Spirit to all who turn to you and put their hope and trust in you. And so, Jesus, this morning as we affirm our hope and our trust and say yes to you, yes to your way, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts, overflow our hearts with your love. We invite you here this morning, Jesus. Holy Spirit, take our lives. May you lead us for your glory. Amen.